Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the HR Uprising podcast focused on our virtual people management series. So we've actually had four episodes already, if you've been listening. If not, you can go and check out the back catalogue. And this week, the subject matter is all about the topic of feedback. Now, feedback is something that many people feel really anxious about. I don't know whether it comes down to someone going, oh, I'd like to give you some feedback. And you brace ourselves, don't we, where we expect it to be something negative. I mean, actually, even positive feedback, many of us are not particularly good about receiving that. So there's lots of reasons why that is the case. And there's um, some evidence from neuroscience, which actually suggests that feedback invokes our fight or flight response, which is interesting, isn't it? But the reality is that feedback is a key, key, key deliverer of performance. So if we agree expectations with people, if we don't give them feedback about whether they're working or not um, effectively, then we're not going to get the best performance. If you look inside your body, our bodies are a whole mine of feedback mechanisms where their um, various glands and hormones, their regulatory systems are checking whether or not we are of the right temperature, um, whether or not we've got our blood pressure at the right level, whether or not there's right hormone levels in our body or food our bodies are always receiving feedback. And the purpose of that, it's a bit like a compass, is about just checking if we're on course. So if our objectives are about heading due north, if we never check the compass again and give feedback as to whether or not we're on track to achieve that particular direction, then we're not going to find the most efficient method of getting there. So that's the purpose of feedback, is about helping people to perform, to achieve their expectations in the most uh, effective and maybe most direct route. And I think that's even more important going in the most direct route when we're working virtually, because we need people to feel that everything they're doing is productive. There's lots of opportunity for people to lose heart or lose focus. And also I think when we were going through lockdown, hopefully less so as we go forwards, many people had lots of other distractions. So it was quite difficult for them to maybe work all the hours that they might have been in an office. But that's not that doesn't mean that um, every hour that we work is necessarily highly productive. So the purpose really for me of giving feedback on performance is helping every individual who works for you to make everything they do count. And you know what, if they can achieve all their objectives in six hours or five hours and then go to the gym or sort out the childcare and the other two hours... Who's to say that that's the wrong way of being? Because actually, we don't want people for the hours they work. We want them for their outputs. And that's a key, key mentality. So feedback on performance is about giving people information about their performance or behaviours 
that will lead to action that will either affirm, so reinforce or develop that performance or behaviour to bring it back on track. I believe it's about optimising performance and we cannot optimise performance without feedback. Therefore, as managers, we need to get over ourselves and stop being so scared about giving it, which may mean we need to do more of it to um, have more practice at doing so. And as individuals, we need to be less fearful about receiving it. Now, you've heard me say previously, um, because I mentioned it in the expectations episode a couple of weeks ago, that goal setting combined with regular feedback, researchers say that there's nothing more important than that in terms of maximising individual and organisational performance. We've covered goal setting, so having clear expectations is critical. And last week I talked about having regular reviews probably in the form of virtual one-to-one meetings, which have a structure. And part of that structure creates that space or agenda item, which is going to allow us to give feedback. This provides us with the forum and the platform to provide quality feedback that's going to help the individual to perform. And actually, feedback doesn't have to be one way. It doesn't have to be driven by the manager to the individual. We could coach the individual, give themselves performance. What do you think you did really well? What worked? Have we met this objective yet? What else needs to be done? And we'll talk about coaching questions in a couple of weeks. But the point here really is about um, ensuring that we've got clarity about the extent to which we're meeting the expectations that have been agreed. So we know that in reality, um, the ability to provide good quality feedback is a skill that many managers need to practice. That came through in one of our surveys where um, it was the second most important skill that uh, People professionals suggested that line managers need to practice. 30% of people said that the top skill was setting objectives and 30% said the top skill was giving feedback. And given the fact that behavioural science says that setting quality objectives and feedback is the most effective way to deliver performance, that does suggest that 60% of managers could do some development in this area. So hopefully uh, these podcasts will go a little way towards helping you with that. And remember, you can download, we've got loads of other content on this. We've got the ebook that you can download. Links are on hruprising.com or go to the Actus website. And um, we've got various other papers, some fun videos. There's lots of content out there. And of course, you can sign up to our, our management course if you're interested as well to get some hands-on support. Um, I'll tell you more about that later. So the reality is it's a skill that many of us need to practice. It does require us to notice specifics And we talked about specifics with objectives and many of us find it quite hard to be specific. It's more easy to be general, but we need to notice specific aspects of a person's performance or behaviour. And we need to be prepared to provide non-judgmental, so objective rather than subjective, comment on these. And it needs to be constructive in terms of helping people to develop. So it's not about being critical, but it's about observing behaviours reflecting them back to the individual or activities and helping them see whether or not those are behaviours to repeat or behaviours to change. Now, in a virtual world, hmm, how easy is it to see those behaviours? Well, some of us might feel that it's impossible because we're not seeing people on a day-to-day. I'd argue, however, that even when we were seeing people day-to-day, we weren't necessarily looking for the opportunity to provide feedback. So I think if we have this hat on when we're working virtually with people, there are still plenty of ways in which we can see 
um, instances of performance, whether it's emails people send, the way in which they interact on virtual meetings, whether or not they meet deadlines. There are lots and lots of pieces of behavioural and performance evidence that we can see. We just have to take the effort to look for them. And it's not there washing over us as it might have been um, when we were in more of a a workplace, more of an office-based workplace. So we need to work a little bit harder potentially to spot the data because there is less data for us to provide feedback on, but it is there. And we need to listen to things like tone of voice, maybe, or style of written or video interaction. It's interesting also for us to pick up on energy levels. I don't know if you think about how you can tell whether someone's got high or low energy levels when you're interacting with them virtually. Obviously, it's about everyone's got different natural energy levels, uh, but sometimes it's to do with their tone of voice or the level of variation or inflection in their voice. That gives us an indication as to how much energy that person's demonstrating. And if they're normally a high energy person and you feel that their voice is a little monotone, that might be an indication that we want to check in with them to see if they're okay, um, because it might be picking up that they feel a little bit lower energy. Of course, we can look at outputs and work produced. We can also ask others for feedback. So other team members, we might see how people are interacting um, through others uh, and how they're working within virtual teams. So the reality is there is data there, but we are going to need to get into the habit of looking for it. The other reason that people shy away from feedback is often to do with fear of conflict or hurting someone's feelings. And I think this is a bit like the, the performance review because we're not in the habit of providing regular feedback, sometimes we feel that if we're honest and open, that's going to be too direct or it's going to cause conflict and it might upset somebody. But we've got to remember that we're the line manager. This is our job. The feedback we are providing is designed to help the individual to be or do better. The issue is us not being comfortable in delivering it. It's purely the fact that we do not do this habitually. We're out of practice with it but people really, really need it. So we need to start by getting into the feedback habit. Then we all get used to it. It's almost like uh, the uh, immersion therapy. We just get practiced at it and it doesn't feel so uncomfortable and it becomes far less threatening. I used to um, work with a a, a trainer and she had an example that she talked about where there was a lady who, um, who was a line manager who was determined to try and give positive feedback and she would do it by having three paper clips in um, her pocket and she would switch them from her left pocket to the right pocket over the course of the day as she provided somebody with some good quality feedback. So that was her her thing, her way of trying to give three pieces of feedback each day, create that habit with her team. And that was her little reminder. And of course, when we're working virtually, to be honest, it's probably easier to do reminders. You could have post-its on your wall. Have I given anyone feedback? Have I noticed anything to give feedback on? You could have pop-ups. There's all sorts of things that we can do in the virtual workplace. So it's much easier for us to create those reminders if we have set ourselves to it. So what's good feedback and what isn't good feedback? I'm sure that some of us will remember receiving feedback from school or parents, maybe hearing things like, oh, you must try harder. Or, well, I guess that will have to do. Or perhaps a slightly more positive, but equally general, good job. So what's wrong with those examples? Certainly, I feel the first two, particularly I've experienced them personally, good old 70s parenting. um, They're very non-specific and they're very general. And the problem with that is 
they're very difficult to understand. So if I need to try harder, um, try harder at what? What is it that I'm not doing well enough at? And what makes you say that I'm not trying hard at the moment? Or someone saying, I guess that will have to do. Okay, so you're basically saying that I've disappointed you. I didn't want to disappoint you. Um, What would make it better? What did I need to do? What were you expecting? Um, So they're really not great. And interestingly, even sort of that, that good job, which is meant to be praise, that's meant to be positive. People saying good job, that can feel incredibly insincere because it's almost like, so uh, good job. Okay, what exactly are you saying I've done well? Do you even know? I had used to have a boss that do it. And I think, do you even know what I've done? So uh, depending on the sort of person, I'm, and again, if you've got high trust with people and you go, oh, brilliant, that was a great job, guys. Thank you so much. That's that. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you also are very specific about great job, guys. You know, you, you know, organised that webinar to within an inch of its life. I love the fact that you were dropping um, specific links to people real time, which was really useful. And you followed up instantly with any queries that came through. So it was really highly responsive and, and customer focused. So much more specific that that good job would feel much more genuine when you share some specific examples along the way. The other thing to be aware of is those examples that I came up with earlier, which is where we might have experienced feedback that felt particularly personal uh, again, it's quite parental, critical parent, where you hear people say, oh, you're never going to be any good at maths, running, languages, whatever it is, or you are a very bad, good, naughty boy or girl. Um, and hopefully none of us use this sort of terminology nowadays. The issue with that kind of feedback, if you have experienced it, um, you may or may not realise why it can feel so negative, particularly if it's um, aimed at very young children. And I realise we're talking about adults at the moment. It's quite damaging or antagonistic because it's stated in the first person. So what it's saying is it's saying you, it's blaming you at, at your identity level that you're a bad person. But actually, that's not correct. What they're saying is that that behaviour that you demonstrated was not appropriate for this situation. Now, that behaviour could have been the perfect behaviour for a different situation. And our, we are not our behaviour. We shouldn't be criticising people at a you level Uh, we should be spotting um, behaviour. And actually, I mean, you could argue, you can say you are a really nice person. You can give compliments at an identity level if you want to really take this to the next level. But I would say stick with behavioural. It's much more professional. You know, that behaviour was really effective in this situation. That behaviour was less effective and it would have been even better if you did something different. So good feedback is behavioural and it's specific because it helps people to understand exactly what it is that they need to do again so as in keep on doing the good stuff or what they need to change. And it's at a behavioural level so they can almost visualise or understand how to practice that specific behaviour. It's not about judging their capabilities and it's definitely not about judging them as to whether they're a good or a bad person. So the problem with this is that, again, we often don't have, we're not in the habit of being specific. Um, and it's interesting that though that when you ask people, uh, there's a, you could visualise, if you visualise a, a, a quadrant model, which I often do with people, which talks about specific versus general feedback. And then it would talk about simplistically, I'll say positive versus negative. But if we call it more politically politically correct term would be developmental or corrective versus positive. So you've then got four quadrants. And when I used to ask delegates, when I used to run management development programs, which where if they could only have one type of feedback for the rest of their life, what type would it be? 
I'll give you a chance to think about yourself. What would it, what would you say? Would you go for specific developmental or specific positive? Or would you go for general corrective or general um, positive? What would you go for? Which would you prefer to receive? And also, which do you normally give? The interesting thing was people would generally say they'd much rather have specific corrective was the most popular, followed by specific positive. And I think that's because those people who want to improve, they want to know exactly what they can do better. Now, clearly, they don't want to feel criticised. But if you give someone something specific and you've got a high trust relationship, then they're really grateful for what they can do differently. Some of us will have experienced times where someone has given us that really useful nugget of feedback and it's been life changing. And actually, it's, it's, it's really woken us up to something that we could do differently or we should be doing differently. So the reality is we need to make sure that we're giving good quality feedback. It should be specific and factual rather than general and personal. We also need to make sure it's timely because time diminishes the effect. Again, this is one of those classic things where people say, oh, I hate performance appraisals because my boss saves up all of their negative feedback to the end of the year. I hope people don't do that anymore. But the reality is there's no use doing that, is it? Because that's just applying a judgment. The point of giving feedback is to help people to perform. Let's go back to our due north. If if we've gone slightly north, northeast, we want to get back on beheading due north. And um, that's why we need to give the feedback. And therefore, if we wait until we've already hit the wrong, yeah, we've gone so far off track that we're heading towards an iceberg, that's far too late. Or maybe an easier analogy I remember um, being shared with me is about a golfing analogy. If you've hired a golf coach to come around with you to teach you to improve your golfing, um, what is it that you need to do? Let's say on the first hole, they remain silent all the way around till the 18th hole. And then they turn around and say, well, on the first hole, you raised your head when you did your first, um, when you teed off. And then on the third hole, your putting was out and this was a problem. This is what you did wrong here. And they go on to give you critique. It might be specific feedback and behavioural, but it's too late because you can't do anything about it. What you really want is them to say, okay, after that third hole, this is what you did right and wrong. And why don't you have a go on the fourth hole to put it right? Because that way we get to practice the behaviours that improve our performance and it's given to us in the right time. So behaviour needs to be timely. And of course, that links back into what we talked about last week, which is regular reviews. If you've already got that um, set up where you are talking to someone regularly in a one-to-one, you've got the automatic opportunity monthly almost like you're going around your holes and the on the golf course to go, okay, how did we get on this week? And what feedback do we have um, for this week or this month? So we don't want to store it up. We don't want to encourage bad habits to stick and months of underperformance that could have been reversed. And the other thing to remember is if you do store, store feedback up and then give someone feedback about something that happened months ago, don't be surprised if that makes them feel really, really demoralised because they'll be thinking, oh, why didn't you tell me? You were thinking that about me all these months. And it does happen. Hopefully not to anyone listening to this. Okay, so how can we deliver feedback well? This three-step structure is probably quite a useful one to remember if you're delivering feedback. So first of all, you start by describing the specific behaviour that you noticed without putting a judgment on it. So we don't say it's good, bad or otherwise. So, for example, I would say, I noticed when you gave the presentation that you stood up really straight and you used your arms to express your points. Or I heard when we were on that conference call, your voice seemed to wobble a little bit when you were explaining the graph. Or 
When you said X, Y, Z, so those are specific behaviours, you're reflecting the behaviour without judging it. The next point of the structure is to explain the impact of the behaviour and take ownership of the impact. So ideally say, I wondered, so when I heard you on the voice call, um, sorry, on the webinar and your voice seemed to wobble on the graphs, I wondered whether you weren't too confident in what you were talking about. Or I wondered if you felt a bit anxious or it gave the impression that you were nervous. So you could say something like that, but ideally you own it. So I felt or I noticed or I wondered. So you're not saying what you thought the judgment was, but you are saying it had the impact on me that I saw this. It's better to own it yourself than to say everyone thought. All right. It's much braver and it's also less intimidating for the other person if you own it. Of course, that can mean that somebody is going to turn on you. But as soon as you say other people said or everyone thought, then the natural response for the person receiving the feedback is to be defensive or to say, who thought, who said, what said? Whereas if you own it, I wondered, that's much more courageous. It's also um, much more healthy and, and you are the line manager, right? Then the third thing is make a recommendation. So you might say next time you might want to do X, Y, Z, or maybe next time do some breathing exercises so that your voice doesn't um, vibrate. Or, you know, of course, if it's positive, keep on doing that. Um, Those brilliant gestures you did while you were doing that presentation really reinforced what you're saying. It gave me the impression that you were very confident and knew your stuff. So keep on doing it. It's really working for you. So let me give you a couple of other examples that I've prepared as well, which may be a bit more fluent. So just to remind you what the three-step structure was, describe the specific behaviour without value judgment, explain the impact and take ownership of the impact. And third point is make a recommendation. So here's an example of developmental feedback using that structure. I might say, last Friday, you finished for the weekend without mentioning that you'd completed the blog post. That meant that I wasn't sure whether you'd met our agreed timescale or not. It would be really helpful in future if you could drop me a Skype message at the end of each week updating me on progress against key objectives because that will save me having to check. Or an example of positive feedback might be, I noticed when you chaired the project team meeting that you encouraged everybody to speak and made use of the chat functionality and virtual meeting rooms. This really made me feel that you were in control of the meeting and it helped everybody to get involved. I think that's definitely something to do more of and perhaps even encourage your team to do the same. So again, we're stating behavioural facts from the feedback giver's perspective without value judgments, but we're also owning that feedback in terms of the impact and going on to make positive suggestions. So I'll talk more about positive feedback in particular when we look later at recognition, which is a really important element in its own right within this module, uh, module, model, sorry, perform model um, in the virtual world. I think recognition is really key to step up. Um, But of course, remember, if we get into the habit of providing regular positive feedback, it's going to create that foundation of trust that when we then need to give developmental feedback or corrective feedback, um, people are going to feel much more comfortable. And uh, they're not going to resist it. They're not going to feel defensive. Uh, And it it just reinforces that positive relationship because they know you've got their best interests at heart. This, of course, lays the foundation for preventing underperformance or performance issues. And lack of feedback can be a key cause of that. So if we get into this habit of providing feedback, like the types of examples I've just been through during our one to one meetings, our regular reviews, 
then the likelihood is we're going to optimise the performance of our people and minimise the chance of issues. But don't forget, if you do get to a point where you've got a perceived issue, despite giving feedback, um, our final uh, module in this model, all about performance management, will cover that. So that's in a few weeks' time. So we've got tips on that and also lots of white paper downloads as well, if that's an issue to you already. So final tips on feedback. First point is to take ownership by using I statements um, if you're describing reactions. So own it. Avoid you statements where you're telling the person that this says that about them. So you're putting it in the first person. So you might say something, I was uncomfortable when you said that, not you made me feel uncomfortable. Be specific. Comment on a specific situation or behaviour um, rather than a general. So um, make sure you give a, a, an example. So for example here, when Jane mentioned the cost of the course, I thought you looked upset, not you completely misunderstood Jane. So judgment as opposed to she said this, I thought this. So that's much more about specific behaviour and impact. Try to avoid mixed messages if you're giving feedback. And sometimes this happens when we're a bit uncomfortable with feedback. We mix too much up. Um, and so you, let's say, um, I've, I've, I've come across some complaints from people in your team. It seems that you're upsetting them a bit, although your call handling is brilliant. Um, so that's a really mixed message. If you've got to give corrective feedback, own it, um, position it in a way that's constructive um, and ideally not the complaints because that's blaming other people. That, that particular example is pretty poor. Um, separate out the, the constructive stuff from the developmental stuff. And not everybody likes, I know we've heard about the proverbial sandwich where they say give something um, positive, negative, positive. That can be confusing, to be honest, and maybe a bit insincere, if you like, a bit contrived. I just try and be in the habit of giving people positive feedback when they deserve it. And then when you're giving corrective feedback, it doesn't have to be negative. All you're doing is actually, this is this, it had this impact. It would be better if you did this next time. That's not really negative. It's just helping people for the future. Um, try not to use closed questions because that can um, get people to be defensive. If you say um, say something like more like, oh, could you tell me about this? Or could you tell me more about what your thinking was there as opposed to why did you do that? The why question can make people a bit defensive. Avoid overload, which is a bit like the mixed message one. So, you know, don't, if you've stored up, if you're not in the habit of giving feedback and suddenly you overload people with, you need to join Zoom calls earlier so we can start on time and you need to be more interactive on our virtual groups and another thing and another thing, feel like we're telling off our 16 year old. Um, you know, try to avoid that, right? Just try to be quite specific about clear things and help people, help them land and help the person digest it. Maybe be selective about the bit of feedback that matters the most as opposed to throwing the book at somebody. Um, because that feels petty and it's not helpful. The other one is, I don't know if you've come across this before, is be careful about using the word but. Um, if this is something you quite often use feedback, just be alert to it because actually it has the effect of negating what you said earlier. So if I said the webinar that you ran received nine out of 10 score and positive feedback from all attendees, but I did notice there were three typos on the slides. Which is the message you take away from that? There was a positive piece and there was a criticism in there. What are you left thinking? Yeah, you left thinking about the three typos, which are minor because the delegates said that you were they were happy with it and you got nine out of 10 score. If you are going to use but, then maybe spin it round. I noticed there were three minor typos on the webinar slides that we must fix for next time. But the attendees gave nine out of 10 positive feedback. So you should feel really proud of the job you did. Okay, so you can get away with it that way. Personally, I'd try and keep it clean, use one or the other. 
Um, but, uh, you know, just be aware. I just use a but there. Uh, but please be aware of uh, the impact of the word but. So final summary points on feedback. The point is that regular feedback is all about high performance and motivation. If we want to give good quality feedback, it's specific and timely. It's not general. One of the best ways of building trust is by getting into the habit of giving regular positive feedback. Remember, feedback should be behavioural, not personal. though not at the identity level. And it's really good if we can take ownership as much as possible own where we saw something or the impact of it with us from us. So that's it on our this week's episode of the HR Uprising Management Series, um, all about feedback. I hope you're enjoying this. Again, do log into the uh, hruprising.com to see other episodes that you might enjoy from the regular HR Uprising. If you are enjoying this, please do give us a five-star review on your um, podcast series because it helps other people find us and there's lots of information out there so if you find this value please um, share with your colleagues and uh, and also let us know we'd really really appreciate I read every single review and I'm so grateful for them and again if you're interested in um, more about this we've got plenty of resources plus we will have kicking off in November our first um, virtual management superhero series still working out what we're going to call it but basically um, a series of uh, online virtual management training programs. I will be running this first series myself. So if you want to work with me on management development and put these skills into action, then take a look at that. And you can access those from the Actus website or via hruprising.com. That's it for this week. Do tune in again next week and we'll be on to the O, which is all about ownership. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actus Software, the joined-up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising.